4: This is Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast. I'm Jim Salverson and there is a heap full of top flight topics to get through on today's show. We're going to talk David Gold, West Ham chairman and walking PR disaster zone, who has been playing the victim card as the criticism from the fan base towards the owners of West Ham grows. Is Lionel Messi coming to the Premier League with Manchester City? It certainly seems to be on the cards. We'll be having a look on right move and picking a new house room in Alderley Edge and speaking to Sam Lee from The Athletic. And there are changes to the Premier League rules afoot. Sadly, not for VAR, but for the transfer window instead. There's a big change happening next season. We'll be talking about the impact that will have shortly on Football Social Daily. Plus, at the end of the podcast, as it's Friday, we'll get our weekly dose of fantasy football advice from the guru. To talk me through all of that, I've got to my left... Well, he is the pride of the Emerald Isle, a man who models his look on that ginger (laughs) fella from Game of Thrones, and he's our go-to dude when it comes to football on the continent, it's Fergal the Professor Brennan. (laughs) Hello, Fergal. Jesus Christ. I'm blushing blushing through my beard. I'm going to have to sit down for mine. And to the right, we've got the man who puts the social media into football social. He's an Alan Shearer fanboy, and he can finish a palmo (laughs) off in under 90 seconds. It's Marley, Mr. Meme Anderson. Welcome, gents. Welcome. Uh, done a review on this show in a while. I'm not going to do one today either, but we will get some shout-outs next week in terms of reviews. So if you want to leave us a review, however you listen to the podcast, do it now. You might get a shout-out next week, because before we kick off the podcast properly, we've got the question that we set on yesterday's podcast to answer. You've been waiting eagerly for the answer to this one. Here you, are, you won't have heard this yet, I don't think. So there are two players in Premier League history who have scored four goals... On two different occasions for two different Premier League clubs. Are you
2: following that? Yeah, I think so. Who are they? Uh, for some reason, Jermaine Defoe. Is wrong. No. Andy Cole. Is he was wrong. in the, the United-Ipswich big
4: win that time. Have you had any better ideas since yesterday's podcast, Marley? Apart from the one I told you. Um, <laughs> Berbatov. My... Berbatov. For a great grab from Fergal. Scored yeah. them for Fulham and Manchester and United. United yeah.
0: Is the other one, just off the top of my head, is it Yukubu?
4: It is Yukubu. That's the one I told you yesterday. So <laughs> 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 really, like, off the top of my head, Robbie. You, no, you just you delete never.
2: out there, is it? Well, we mean, yeah, you know Fulham Yeah, but didn't I
4: act it out brilliantly? <laughs> okay, if, you, <laughs> Brilliant. if you hadn't said that. Oscar for Marley. Yeah. Right, there's your answer. If you've been waiting around for that, Yukubu and Berbatov, the two players who have scored four goals on two separate occasions for two different Premier League clubs. So, let's kick off with the news proper and let's start with those changes to the Premier League transfer window that were announced yesterday afternoon. I think this is going to be a pretty quick one to discuss. Two seasons ago, the Premier League moved the deadline of the transfer window forward meaning that all Premier League clubs had to complete their business before the very first game of the season, which is a good idea in practice. It means Premier League squads are settled before they even kick a ball, but not such a great idea considering all the other windows right across the world, including big European clubs, remained open, meaning English clubs were potentially vulnerable from the big players coming in and taking their players. Now there's been a vote this week, it's been turned around, so the transfer window will fall back in line with the European windows, which is just common sense, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Told you it would be a quick one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a good idea to have a settled Premier League squad going into the season. That does make loads of sense that before you kick a ball, managers know exactly what tools they've got in their toolkit for the season ahead. Makes sense, right? But I think the assumption was that the European leagues would go, oh, well, the Premier League have done it, we'll do it too, and also move their windows forward to a similar position, which never obviously happened.
2: Yeah, and I mean, why would they? Why why would they change if if they're still able to do business with each other and potentially for players from the Premier League, why on earth would they would they look to move their own goalposts? Um, I think everyone across the board, as you say, would agree that having your squad and probably your first 11 settled through pre-season and then knowing on that first Premier League game of the season who's going to be named on your on your team sheet. But ultimately the people, the, sorry, the clubs and the fans that suffer for any sort of a movement, be it forward or backwards, are teams in the bottom half of the table. Yeah, Because all clubs want this, but The reality is, once this gets moved back, you know, if you're a Watford, for example, no offence to Watford or or Watford fans, they might have 30, 40 million to spend in the summer. Nigel Pearson will be very careful about who he spends it on, probably brings in four or five players to to strengthen key areas and, and make sure that they're ready for the Premier League season. Liverpool don't make any signings because they're probably going to win the league, blah, 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 blah. But then after the first two games of the season, they go, do you know what? We could use cover here or here. Mm. And they make a move for De Feo. I'm just speaking hypothetically. Liverpool can then go and buy De Feo for what they need to go. Oh, let's not take any chances and make sure we've got a third choice right winger whilst that then ruins Watford's season mm. or starts the season. So yes, it is a good idea, but ultimately, again, it's still skewed in favour of, top six clubs because they can still pick and choose.
4: It doesn't matter where you put the transfer window. Everything is going to be skewed towards the top six clubs because ultimately... They're the ones that can A, resist approaches because they have the finances and B, go and get the players they want because they've got the money.
2: But at the start of the season, if it's locked down, you can then breathe. If you're Nigel Pearson or you're Roy Hart, you can go, right, now I know there's no messing after the first two games. I know where I am until at least January.
4: It's a little bit of arrogance for the Premier League, this, wasn't it? Going, oh, we'll do it, then everyone else will fall in line when really it needs UEFA or maybe even FIFA to go, we're going to move the window. Yeah, and that's where this whole thing fell down because there isn't one
0: governing body across Europe's leagues. There's the Premier League, it, 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 is, it decides its own uh, transfer windows um, with the FA, and then there's the Italian FA, then there's the French FA and the Spanish FA, there's everyone. So everyone has to... There's no They don't all get together in a room and say, we're, we're all going to move this to the start of the season, like two weeks before the start of the season or whatever it is, because that's not how it works. So... I understand why the Premier League did it because a lot of managers are sick of having an unsettled squad, three, like two or three games in, players with the futures up in the air and their eyes on on other clubs and whether they'll materialise or not. But they they just sort of took a chance of. Well, if we do it, everyone else will follow us, and it's kind of like they were the first ones to <laughs> stick the head in the fire, and everyone else went, "Well, that was stupid."
4: Yeah, because <laughs> like we'll just have his what he's left behind. It's like, let's all run into the sea naked. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it for. Oh no,
0: yeah. has done it? I catch yeah. you. Oh no, wait. Yeah, and then the first guy goes <laughs> <laughs> freezing in here, lads, and the, the rest of them go, "Yeah, that was a stupid idea. We'll just mm. stay. We'll just stay out here in the in the dry." And that's what Italy and France
4: and everyone have done. Um, and they're all they're fine for it. So common sense has prevailed. The transfer window has been moved. The really good news is the window will close at five o'clock in the afternoon, which means you don't have to stay up all night following Twitter and refreshing your feed to see who your club have signed. 1st of September 2020 is going to be the closer of the summer window. I like the late night ones, though. It's not, it's good. It's like it's so much to stay up for. <laughs> so much it's like do. a more enjoyable election. Yeah, says more about your life than it does the transfer (laughs) window. Right, well, that's that done. But the big story in football today is got to be about Lionel Messi and rumours again linking the world's greatest football player with maybe the world's richest football club, Manchester City, and a reunion with Pep Guardiola. Now, to fill in the gaps on this one, we've drafted in an expert, Football Social Daily regular and Manchester City man for the Athletic. We've got Sam Lee on the phone. Howdy, Sam. Hello. Thanks for coming on and giving us your uh, filling in the blanks on this one for us. So we've heard these rumours for a long time in terms of Messi to City, probably for a decade or so, but they seem to be pretty loud this time. What has brought them about?
1: Uh, I don't think they should be particularly loud this time. It's basically the same situation it's always been. You know, you just said these rumors have been around for a decade that's because that's pretty much how long city have wanted messi they've always been there they've always explored any opportunities to get him um i think it's always been the ultimate goal of the owners one was pep guardiola one was lionel messi Mm. um they came very close in 2016 messi as far as i know called guardiola I think this has been reported elsewhere as well, but I've also, you know, been, it's been confirmed to me. That he, Messi called Guardiola, he'd spoken to Luis Enrique, who's was the Barca manager, and he said, you know, he wanted to leave Barca, he wanted to come to City. Um, in the end, Luis Suarez convinced him that it would be a bad move, and it didn't happen, and that seemed like it was, uh, it would be the last chance. Um, he signed a new contract 18 months later, and City kind of knew at that point they were, they were never really in the running. Um, but, yeah, the difference now, and I don't think... I don't think the rumours are loud, but it's just that the difference now is we know again that if he does become available, City still want him. The fact that he's 33 years old, the fact that maybe the financial fair play climate, climate is a little bit stricter or maybe a little bit up in the air, that's a factor. Um, the fact that City want five players at least this summer, mm. um, the fact that in the past couple of years they've not bought players for a matter of four million, five million, ten million because they want to you know, stick to their idea of value, despite all of that, the interesting thing is if Messi becomes available this summer, and they believe he might, um, they would be willing to buy him again. Um, but there's a few different interesting things about that I'm sure we'll go into.
4: From the club point of view, I mean, is this a footballing move or is this a brand City move? Because obviously there's massive benefits to Manchester City as a brand, bringing in Lionel Messi at this stage, no matter what age he is.
1: Yeah. Um, part of, you know, part of it was with getting Guardiola in and aiming for Messi would be, you know, to make them the biggest club in the world and obviously Guardiola, it's the same, basically. You know, with Guardiola, you get... There's more attention on you. It takes you to the next level and you also get trophies. You also get fantastic football. That's what they wanted. And it's the same thing with Messi. It's both. I mean, you could imagine if Messi were to sign for City and I think, you know, City think there's a slim chance that he will actually decide to leave Barca. But if he does, they're there. But, you know, they they're think... I mean, can you imagine um, how... How big it would be, you know, the attendances would be up, everyone, you know, you'd have people who weren't City fans going to City games to watch Messi. Um, I think the training ground, there'd be so many autograph hunters, people would want to be seeing Messi, it would be an entire circus. And then, yeah, financially, um, you look at the sponsorships they could get, uh, people who would want to link themselves with City um i mean there's no individual broadcast deals between clubs and and broadcasters but i mean you can imagine if city wanted to go down that route Mm -hmm. they could sell their games to foreign audiences just for people to watch messi see how he gets on it would be a fascinating sideshow yeah i mean it would be huge for the club on a financial basis um but it's Messi as well it's the best player in the world and he's working with guardiola okay he's not 28 he's not 21 he's not 25 he's still amazing um Guardiola would, you know, Guardiola was the one who set his career off. You know, Messi always had fantastic talent, but playing in that Guardiola team that was built around him, built to emphasise his strengths. You know, he, Guardiola taught Messi new things. Messi learned new things. They they helped each other to grow, and they would they would do that now, even at you know nine ten years after they finished working with each other. It would work in in both senses.
4: You mentioned Pep a lot there. Obviously, this deal kind of hinges... Well, I suppose there's two aspects to this. that The relationship between Messi and Pep is so important that if... I mean, there's loads of speculation around Pep's future at the club, whether he'll be there for the next season, the next two seasons, whether he'll leave in the summer. Messi's not going to come to City if Pep's not there. And equally, if Pep is going to be persuaded to stay, if he has other ideas at the moment, bringing in Lionel Messi is probably going to get him over the line. It's going to convince him that he does want to stay at the club for a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, Um, it's a tricky one. First of all, I don't think he's going to leave at the end of this season. I know there was a lot of talk about that. and I'm not going to be able to sit here and rule it out 100%, but I'd say I'm 90% sure that Pep's going to be at City next season. But yeah, part of it and what he's always said about, because he's always said he's going to stay, um, but when he gets to the end of his contract, which is the end of next season, that will be five years. And he said, look, it's not really about tiredness or i don't know whatever else or length of time he goes i need to be able to see in my players that they still follow me that they still want to do what i'm asking them to do so part of that is this kind of rebuild not a rebuild but like a freshening up of the squad david silver's leaving bravo's leaving Otamendi's probably going to leave good chance is going to leave so you need to freshen up a bit and you know next season pep's hoping he's got a team that um mm-hmm. is you know hungry and fit and raring to go and you know they will have that hunger and desire again to to track down Liverpool and and win the title back. That's what he wants. And obviously the owners want Pep as long as possible. So if they can convince him, never mind Messi, if they can convince him with the players they're going to buy, they're hoping that he will sign a new contract and stay for longer. But it depends on what they do this summer. But as you say, if... And it's a slim chance. But if they were to add Messi to that, um, yeah, I I don't think Guardiola would leave after a year. I I Mm -hmm. think if Messi's going to be there for two or three years, Surely, surely Guardiola would see that out. But obviously, you know, these are all hypothetical.
2: Sam, just quickly, one of the big takeaways from this is that Messi is demonstrating the, the power that he has at Barcelona. Obviously, this spat with Eric Abidal and, and the comments regarding players' effort levels with, with Ernesto Valverde before he got fired. Um, obviously, yeah. the situation in the summer with Messi being quite public and how he wanted the club to bring Neymar back to the... Back to the the side, Um, this is kind of a demonstration of Messi, what he wants. If Manchester City have got one eye on FIFA fair play and and keeping the books nice and balanced for the next 18 months, if Messi was to come in, not necessarily using the word demanding, but he he clearly wants certain players around him or he clearly thinks certain players around him get the best from him, what can Manchester City then do to go, yes, we've signed him on a free with enormous wages, but now we're going to have to spend an enormous amount on players that Messi wants but not necessarily maybe what Guardiola wants?
1: Um I think there would have to be honest conversations around that before um I mean we don't know. Quite possibly this happened in twenty sixteen. Maybe part of the reasons he he didn't come in the end was he spoke about what he wanted and the demands. And that was at the time when City was signing um Sane and Stones, and they wanted um, Laporte as well the first time. They had to wait 18 months, but they wanted him then. I don't know. I mean, maybe that was part of the conversation then, but you'd think everyone would have to be on the same page. Um, the, the thing is about the City side, like I said, this refresh, I mentioned the players who were going out, because that's pretty much planned. You know, it's not the City are clearing the decks and going, this has been terrible. We need to We need to get rid of Arthur's squad. They're getting rid of players who are going to go anyway. Um, they can still say... If they talk if Messi's saying, I'm not sure about this squad, they can be like, Well, look, we've got we've got um Kevin De Bruyne, we've got Sergio Aguero who you know well. We've got um Raheem Sterling, we've got Bernardo Silva, we've got Rodri who's going to be going into his second season, we've got Laporte, who is one of the best defenders in the world. Um, I mean, I would be amazed if they didn't sign a centre back in the summer, they're certainly trying. So they could say, Look, we're going after this guy, or we're going after this guy to play left back. That's eight players there, that's the majority of the team. And they could say, We'll put you in it. And we're laughing, you know. It, I'm, mm. I'm sure. Mm. Yeah, he it, 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 it does have a lot of demands, Messi. And there's always these stories about. Was it he? He went to Barca and said, "We don't want Griezmann. We want Neymar instead," and all this kind of stuff. And he, yeah, there just seems to be like an incredible kind of power trip with it. But I suppose when you're the best, you can, you can do that. And I, I suppose with, he doesn't really trust the board to do what, what Barca needs. So I suppose he's well qualified enough to do that. But yeah, if he came to City, I don't think they would have to convince him too much in terms of the players they've got because he's still a fantastic squad. And by all accounts, um, if they were to get him, which again, they probably won't, um, the owners would just make it happen. The owners would just say, um, well, we're going to sign these players anyway and somehow we'll find the money for Messi. And that goes down the whole financial fair play thing. You know, If City don't get banned from the Champions League, financial fair play might come to an end anyway. And I think City know, or they were certainly very confident that they were going to not be banned Um, but the the decision's been a little bit delayed so there's a bit of confusion around that Mm. but if City are thinking okay well financial fair play doesn't matter anymore then it doesn't matter anymore
4: Give us a percentage Sam you don't sound massively confident that it's something that's going to happen but if you were going to whack a percentage on the chances of Messi being in sky blue next season
1: Like 5 or 10% I think. but I think again the interesting thing is the fact that City still want him Mm. the other interesting thing which we haven't talked about but we will briefly is it's the owners really who really want him Pep, and I'm sure Pep's got a press conference in the Well, Friday afternoon, and I'd be amazed, recording this beforehand, I'd be amazed if he didn't say, um, it's not going to happen, Messi's going to retire in Barcelona, he should retire in Barcelona, and we don't want him. And that is pretty much true, Um, but the owners want him. I think Pep and his former Barca colleagues, the CEO and the football director, they're kind of like, okay, well, we don't want to upset Barca by taking Messi, but... If Messi really wants to go and Messi calls us, what are you going to do? Mm. You don't say no to Messi. So that's a situation. Um, they, it's, a, it's the massive if because he finally needs to decide that he wants to leave Barca and he needs mm-hmm. to actually go through with it, which is what he didn't do in 2016. But if he does, I think another way of saying it will be he'll either be playing for Barca or Man City next year. I can't imagine he'll leave Barca and go somewhere else. But I would still say it's 5 or 10% chance that City do it. It's just interesting that if there is a chance, they will still do it. They will still do whatever they can to get it.
4: Sam, cheers for coming on. Appreciate it, mate. You can catch Sam on The Athletic. You can check out his written stuff and he'll be on Football Social Daily tomorrow morning as well, previewing Manchester City's match against West Ham. Cheers, Sam. Thanks, guys. And it's West Ham we're going to go to next. The comments that David Gold has been making in the press, likening the issues at West Ham with the abuse that has been received by Ed Woodward at Manchester United. We'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily.
1: Football Social Daily.
4: Football Social Daily. Premier League updates. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. There are three things that are certain in life. Death, taxes, and as soon as West Ham co-chairman David Gold opens his mouth, it's going to be a PR disaster. (laughs) So the lesser of the two evil chairmen has been speaking in an interview in the press over the last 24 hours, and instead of choosing to address the concerns of the fans and the impending relegation and the dodgy ownership, instead he has chosen to play the victim card. And it's got not gone down very well at all. So David Gold has given an interview where he's likened the abuse that him and his co-chairman David Sullivan have experienced at West Ham with the abuse that Ed Woodward has received at Manchester United. And firstly, there's no doubt that the abuse that Ed Woodward and Golden Sullivan have received has been extreme and has been unnecessary and shouldn't be happening i'm not going to condone yeah. it in any way on any level but it seems on the face of it that a few protests pitch invasions shouting at the
2: director's box compared to having balaclaved men turn <laughs> up at your house it's not on the same page is it no not at all And no, you're right obviously t- to dismiss any any notion that on any level this is acceptable behavior from supporters of a football club but yeah you know, there's an enormous difference between the two and I think it's just it's indicative of the way he does his business that he's trying to piggyback on the back of this situation with Edward Ed Wood and the Manchester United fans turning up at his house and I think one of the main points in this was the interview that he gave where he explained the, the fans shouting at him. It was the Burnley game yeah. um, where the fans were outside the, the, the box and screaming at him and maybe there's a few things thrown and etc. etc. Et and I think if he just left... I mean, it, to be fair, the players were on the pitch and he was in the
4: stand. If you can throw something from the pitch to the stand at the Olympic Stadium... <laughs> you should be in the Olympics. <laughs> yeah.
0: He might call you in to give you a different yeah. job. They had to get the world champion javelin thrower <laughs> to, uh, to lob a pie at someone.
2: 30 miles away. <laughs> um, but I think he's, he, he's taking it another level, where He basically brought his granddaughter into it and he said that his granddaughter had turned to him and said, Grandad, why are they calling you a liar? Mm. And I think we can all sit here or stand here and say, mate, that probably didn't happen. Like, (laughs) you could have left the story out. This is a terrible thing and shouldn't be happening. Mm. And the majority of people will go, of course it's not. This is bang out of order. Fair enough, you've handled this with with dignity, which is not a word you'd normally associate with him. But by extending this story on, extending the story on, you're now, as you say, making this a bit more of a victim thing, when in reality... You, you are deserving of criticism. You're not deserving of people javelining pies at your face, mm. no, but you are deserving of criticism because the way you've ran West Ham Football Club over the last few years. But by adding these little bits to it, he's not strengthening his cause because he's distra- trying to distract attention away from the fact that he is an enormous part of the problem. I think what it comes down to is David Gold seems to have a genuine dis-
4: uh, misunderstanding of the issue that the fans have with the football club at the moment and David Gold isn't the real problem at West Ham it's kind of like he's the he he's he's an investor yes but I don't think he has as much of an influence over what happens at the football club as David Sullivan does and he talks in this interview about how he's talked to taxi drivers who really like going to the football stadium it's like that's not the problem the problem in itself isn't that West Ham have a football stadium that isn't as good to watch football in as the previous football stadium we had, it's everything around that and the promises that have been made and the disappointment the fans are feeling and this impending relegation. It's kind of a complete disconnect between what is happening in the stands and what is happening in the director's box.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think the the issue, looking at West Ham from a from a neutral perspective, if you look at the two owners, Gould and Sullivan, they they seem to be everything that you don't want in owners, as mm. in they think about themselves and how they look. And these comments from uh, David Gold are just, they mirror that perfectly because he's, oh, well, Ed Woodward's not had it as bad as me or whatever, I had a pie throughout at <laughs> me last week. It's like, well, yeah. Like, he's 83 years old. That is, th- that just That's sums not up. not a
2: pie-throwing age, that is. Yeah.
0: Or pie-recipient age. Yeah. <laughs> It be still still be funny though, <laughs> um but this this is what it is for me like he's he's eighty three there's no sort of progression after him, like there's no reason why a guy shouldn't have somebody else younger than him and more in touch with other parts of the club to mm. like prospectively take over from him, yeah, like. There should be a clear path. Like you could um, be an
4: owner of a club without running a
0: club. Exactly. Yeah. So th- there could be uh, a- another face in there who's who's a less of a target for fans that could run the club slightly differently and give another perspective on it. But they've they're so old that they're so they're so set in their ways that it's just strangling West Ham mm. because they can't get away from the fact that everything has to go through them. And then the other person you've got on the board is Karen Brady, who's getting paid about three million quid a year for doing all, going off to The Apprentice for 12 weeks uh, every year and doing an even worse job with them. Um, and it's just it's just a strange situation in the modern game that they're still running the club at such an age where they're so set in
4: the ways and nothing's progressing under them. I, I do believe that, Gold, Sullivan, and Brady all have the best interests of the club at heart. I think Karen Brady is probably a very intelligent businesswoman and can run a business successfully. And we've seen West Ham's accounts and they do all right. Gold and Sullivan are West Ham fans and they have saved the club from financial disaster when they came in. But to deliver what they have said they will deliver, I think they fundamentally don't understand what is required to do that, which is a real problem. And it's created this toxic atmosphere. Yeah. and but you look at, I mean, you mentioned Karen Brady
0: being a businesswoman. What what do business people do? They make money. Mm. Well, who do they make money for? Themselves. That's why there's to be an owner. It's a it's a terrible business to get involved oh, in football. I'd never do it because you have you have the money and there is money to be made. But in other walks of business, it's not public, so mm. other people don't see you making all that money. For example, Mike Ashley at Sports Direct. Nobody understood. Nobody like. Seen him paying off people on no con- zero contract hours and pocketing the extra money he saved on saved on labour, but because it wasn't a, it was a private business it was his business. But when he's pill- pillaging money out of Newcastle, the fans see him and the, there's death threats and all sorts of everything going towards him. Well, this one of the and that's that kind raised- of reined him in a bit. Yeah,
4: it was one of the things that was raised in the interview. And David Gold was saying that the accusations that they've taken money out of the club that they shouldn't have taken out were there, and he's talking about not. Taken a salary and not taking bonuses. He's like, no, that, you haven't, mate. But you've taken 18 million yeah. quid in loan repayments from a £45 million pound loan. Mm. They're very reasonable, yeah. <laughs> reasonable
2: and, repayment rates. And this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to turn the argument back on the fans, which is always a terrible idea for a, for a football club owner to do. And, you know, the example that you gave a minute ago about how he's been speaking to taxi drivers and they're all right going to the London Stadium and they don't miss Upton Park that much. Aside from the fact that that's probably a massive lie. Um, I don't believe he takes a taxi for a start. Um, I'd be shocked. Yeah, he does have a Bentley that he yeah. gets driven to and from games. I'd be shocked yeah, if what, he was putting the thumb out for a black cab. And, and I just think that that's indicative of this, where he's going. Oh, they're moaning about the stadium, but you know, not you know. There's different views on this. No, 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 no. They're unhappy that this ridiculous plan that you put in place of Champions League football and spending this much money on players hasn't come to fruition. If you keep focusing on one thing to try and make the fans look like the bad guy, ultimately that's where you'll fall down. And he's trying this on on different levels Mm. and he's just digging himself a deeper and deeper hole.
4: Would you sell up? If you were in charge of West Ham, if you were David Gold or David Sullivan, is it time? Is that relationship between the fans and the board? It's very difficult to repair that, isn't it, when you get to this stage? We're seeing it at Manchester United at the moment with Ed Woodward and the Glazers. It doesn't feel like that's a... Relationship that can be repaired. Ashley at Newcastle, it feels like that relationship's gone too far and it feels like that at West Ham now. That even if they went on, even if they retain Premier League status, even if they get in that top six area of the Premier League, it doesn't feel like it's going to
2: be enough now. No, but but I think it splits right down the middle of on a personal basis in the way that he's treated the club, sorry, in the way that the, the ownership structure has treated the club and the fan base. I think that's irreparable. But as you say, the the figures and you know the, when you're in the red or when you're in the black that's what really counts and I think there's enough West Ham, su- West Ham supporters that will go I do not like these people on any level, on a footballing level or a personal level but they've brought us into a financial position that we've not been in for over a decade can I swallow that? Probably and and everyone knows that financial instability in the Premier League means relegation mm. and that's what West Ham have to fight against so it's it could be a little bit of a case of better the devil you know I'd,
0: I'd have sold up years ago if I
4: was him. Well, you need a buyer as well, don't you?
2: Yeah, That's the you, other you, thing. you need to buy <laughs> well, yeah. it. And, is, and that it,
4: takes years. Is West Ham for sale? It's not, is it? Are you buying they, it? They've talked previously. not. <laughs> they've talked previously. The board have talked about the potential of selling up. They right, so that basically means if they get a massive offer, yeah. just out of nowhere, basically. And but The valuation, I think it's a similar situation to Mike Ashley at Newcastle. The valuation probably far about? outstrips the actual value of the football club. About, so it'd be somewhere in the region of about 300 million quid. I think yeah, I seem to I remember 150 being touted at some point, but all right. but this is a club without really any assets. They haven't got a football stadium. Very true, um, but for me, you've got to go back to
0: like you said. Would would you sell up? Like if I was an 83 year old man running a business on every day of my life, yeah, I would have sold up ten years ago. Mm. Like you need to re- you need to retire. You you one slip on the stairs away from kicking the bucket, mate. <laughs> like get out while you can, because if you you're not, you're not enjoying your life, are you? You're 83. Just mm-hmm. go and put your feet up for a bit. You see him on Twitter every now and again, liking. Um, Retweeting things that say like my granddaughter's gone missing, and it's like a young picture of Anne Frank, <laughs> and it's like you're you're way out of your you just completely the world has passed you by, and that's not your fault. You're 83 years old. You're a fossil. Just get out of the club. <laughs> this just is, the give con- up, this man. is exactly
4: the kind of abuse he's talking about, Marley. <laughs> <laughs> just give up. I'm not even a West Ham fan.
0: I haven't got I ta- I don't go driving around in a taxi saying, "Oh, this is great." You know? Driving
2: around in a
4: taxi looking
2: for him. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jesus
4: Christ. Well, I think they're big. Just get out. Just Retire, enjoy your life. The big telling point will come if West Ham do get relegated, and of course, that chance will be increased with a loss against Manchester City this weekend. You can get a full preview of that game on Football Social Daily tomorrow morning. But right now, let's talk about fantasy football. It's time to bow down and show respect to the guru. <laughs> uh, I feel very ready? awkward with this
3: constant praise.
4: <laughs> Told you, you said you were only come on the podcast if we referred to you as the fantasy football guru. Absolutely not and having here that you spread. Are. <laughs> Best
0: thing is that Jim. Pint him into a corner every week. He comes
2: in and gets more awkward, like, oh no, what have you been saying
0: this week? You'll yeah. miss
2: this over the summer when you're not getting this praise. Oh, I will do, yeah. Hey, look, it's an
4: earned title. You are no a fantasy purpose. football expert and you're going to answer some of the fantasy football questions that have come in via our Twitter accounts at the sports social. So if you've got a fantasy football question for next week, that is the place to head. Are you ready, Guru? Yeah, let's go. Right, let's kick off with Danny's question. He says, Bruno Fernandes had a decent debut for Manchester United last week. He's in fantasy football now for eight million quid. Could he be a good addition? Is that good value?
3: Um, he could, but I still think it's too early to really tell. Particularly when you have top performers uh, in the midfield area. Um, he did sort of pass the eye test, but uh, he seems to be playing deep. It's sort of we're in the Pogba problem all mm. over again. Uh, we have a great guy who sort of sits in between lines and can influence play and get shots away, can change games, uh, and he's holding up the midfield to protect the defence.
4: Eight million quid's not premium, though, is it? It's kind of it's m- in the middle somewhere. It's Madison money, isn't it? It's
3: Madison money. It's Richarlison money. Uh, you're looking at proven players who who perform week in, week out and have several seasons having proved this on a consistent basis. And you have a guy who's come in uh, who kind of looks promising. He did get more shots than any other United player away, mm. um, but they're all outside the box. And so not really the underlying you you sort of looking for in, in a week-in-week-out performer. Um, but in terms of overall shots, which shows he's sort of trigger-happy, even if he's not getting in the right areas, uh, five in one game, if you repeat that every single game, uh, with 30 shots, um, he would be the top performing player for shots taken. Um, That's a big uh, if, though, Beating it? out Salah, yeah. So I still think it's too early just because uh, the, like, it's difficult to choose a top four out of current performing players. So I wouldn't
4: slap in someone who has no proven experience. Okay, Peter next. He's a bit angry with you. <laughs> he says, you said last week, stick with him and he didn't play. So really, capital letters, who's the go-to replacement now for Lord Lundström?
3: Yeah, I did say it was too early. I said it was probably likely that he's going to lose his position. And but he has. It was sentiment, you, wasn't it? you just kind of, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're presuming. So you're going to wait until something happens. And uh, yeah, that's happened. So uh, looking at that, <laughs> that serious that three in the midfield, he <laughs> <laughs> um, it looks like he has lost his position. Uh, Flex kept his uh, alongside Sanderberg. And, um, I, you know, he, the. the manager did come out in the week and say that he's a great player and he's played well and he's going to be fighting for his place and is still going to play but he's not a first choice 11 mm. um, but he's not a
4: first choice value either is he he's still like mm. a relatively cheap buy in fantasy football he's a good player you can afford to have on the bench
3: um, not at full price if you bought him now well if you bought him now he's gone down he's 5 but he was 5.1 that was right. sort of his peak uh, but if you bought him at 4 obviously he he was worth having someone who would play maybe every other week but uh, you know, the the challenge with him now is if you sell him, you don't get the five back. So mm. if you bought him at four and sell him at five, then you only get 4.5. And suddenly there's a lot less choice about who you're replacing with. Yeah. But you might as well replace him with someone who plays um, rather than take that gamble. Because I reckon he'll play like one in every four or something like that. Mm. And particularly with the rotation in Champions League and everything else coming around, you want a full bench to make sure you do have players every week. So... Uh, You know, if you've just bought him, you've got a wealth of options, about five. Like, uh, I think Aurea is a great choice. Um, That Spurs defence is sort of solidifying and Aurea is still as reckless as ever. Um, (laughs) So always getting up the field, always getting chances away. Uh, so he's saying yeah, he's, he's who I brought in
2: this week. Like he's just get sent off on cost <laughs> yeah, He is, it? yeah. But
3: then that that's part of the fun, isn't it? The risk reward <laughs> <It's> part <laughs> of the fun. <laughs> um, I, replaced... I thought this was hard analysis. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. But you always need that wild card, that one wild card that sits in there. He wow. certainly is that. <laughs> so I've brought in Aria. Uh I actually made a double defensive swap this week uh, to to rearrange funds, and I've gone for Rico at right back, uh, left back. Sorry, um, for uh, Bournemouth who's still only 4.3, plays every week, um, got attacking contributions as a sort of and wing back. They've
4: solidified a little bit defensively
3: as well. Yeah, they've looked pretty solid. Um, and and he's been performing well. He missed a week and everyone got worried again because mm. he's dirt cheap. And so you want a, an absolute priceless dirt cheap player. Um, but he's come straight back into the team. So I, I think he's been my go-to. Um, Kelly's lost his place. So out of the guys who are 4 million at the start of the season, where everyone thought, where is where is the next um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka yeah Um, it looks like it's going to be Rico now that Lord Lundstrom rest his soul has lost his place
0: (laughs) I I found two guys that are 4 million to replace so I I got rid of Rico and um, Kelly Mm. and brought in another two guys that are both 4 million to try and like (laughs) replace them One's uh, Brandon Williams at Man United. Oh, oh, I brought him yeah. up Has, he, has and he knocked
3: his place down? Not really.
0: Yeah, but He's going to sit on the bench, so it yeah. is what it is. Yeah. And the other one's Jaffit Tanganga from Spurs, who did play over the weekend, mm. but they played Man City, so I, again, I left him on the bench. Yeah, he also played left back, I think, which yeah. I don't think he's going to keep down the position. He can play He can play across the back. Yeah, yeah. And then which I, I realised that, that Ben Davis is coming back into the team, so it might have been a massive <laughs> mistake. So uh, Yeah, but
3: that Spurs back line is famous for injuries, so just wait until the next full-back's dead yeah. and then bring him back in again.
4: Let's stick with Spurs for now because Tommy's got a question about Spurs. He thinks there's value in Spurs' forward line. He wants to know who he should go for. Should it be, well, now Kane's out. Should he go for Son, Mora, or Stevie Bergwin?
3: Yeah, if you've been listening, you know that I love Son. I, I think he's a, a top performer and everyone constantly forgets him and he always finds his way out of templates and somewhere mid-season. Uh, he keeps scoring hat-tricks every game in a row. Um, it, there is a question mark without Kane but actually last, last season his greatest run came when Kane was injured yep. again he had that uh, sort of Christmas break run where Kane was out I think for about four or five games and Sun just completely lit up uh, when he's in the team he doesn't quite get the underlying stats but his, his shot conversion is always amazing so I, he's the guy he's the one guy who I don't follow the stats for. I always bring in because he always gets the numbers. And now that Kane's out, he, even his underlings have really jumped up. So across the last six games weeks, because he's another he's another great risk player. Thank you Spurs. Uh, loves the red card. Um, he's only played 360 minutes, but he's the fourth top midfielder for shots in the box. Um, so that stands him out among the other li- um, Spurs players. But right. he's obviously. Uh, quite a bit more than the other Spurs players so I've got a quick rundown of the three I think options around okay. the position uh, you've got Sun for min- Sun, Ali and Moura and take a look at for minutes played Sun 360 Ali 503 and Mora 489 uh, but that's because of suspension. You assume, please, please don't get a red card again. Um, <laughs> the value, Sun is worth 10. He's really jumped up. Ali at 8.5 and Moura at 7.1. So if Moura can sustain, the best value out of that. Uh, for shots in the box, Sun has 11, Ali has 8, and Moura also has 8. For shots on target, Sun has 6, Ali has 3, Moura has 1. Uh, and goals, Son, despite only playing three games, has two, uh, Ali has one and Mora has zero. So I, I think Mora can be explosive and I think he can have value and he's going to be more consistent, I think. Um, but if you want, if you really want to solidify someone who's going to score and get you points every single week, Son is a standout. Okay. But if you can't afford him, I think I think. I think Ali at eight point five, particularly more at seven point one, is better than Fernandez at eight.
4: So we're still saying Bergwin maybe similar to Fernandez in too early, too much of a risk at this stage. Yeah, I mean he's played one game,
3: he got a goal, but the whole team only got three shots away. So he had one shot and one goal. So underlings are obviously nowhere near. Um keep an eye on I you know, there's so much competition in the Spurs midfield. Um I think it's hard to really guess who they're gonna lock down in week in, week out. So he's a big question mark for me.
4: There you go. There your questions answered. If you've got a question for the Guru, it is at the Sports Social on Twitter. Guru, thank you very much. Thank you. And that is it for the podcast. Fergal, Marley, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> make thank sure you subscribe to the Great this ending. There. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Finish on a high. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Tomorrow there will be, first thing when you wake up, there'll be a full preview of all the weekend's action, even though there aren't many games. We'll run through all the games this weekend. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily football social daily subscribe to the podcast now
2: so you never miss an episode okay round two name something that's not boring
0: laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh
2: ah sorry we were looking for chumba casino
4: 18 plus.